0: Amen. Maybe seated. Thanks team. Thanks for creating a good environment for us to get our heads and our hearts to start thinking about Jesus and about what he might want to say to us this morning and we do hope that uh, you come here with that sort of expectation that God's gonna show up and he's gonna say something to you. I mean we can make this sort of a routine thing kind of check it off our list come to church and I do it and I work here. I mean it's 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 just natural for us to, to do routine things with, and they lose meaning. So hopefully this morning God will come and touch you and I want to ask you to just have an expectation that He is going to say something to you this morning. Uh, I, I want to share this story. I debated whether or not I should, but I'm going to go ahead and share it. When I was about eight years old, I went to St. Louis with my uh, two aunts and my older brother. And I think I was about eight. And we were going to visit my cousin and my other aunt who lived out there, aunt and uncle. And, uh, the big thing at the time in St. Louis was Six Flags Amusement Park. And they had this, like, uh, like nationally known haunted house. Okay? And it was the big talk of the whole deal. And if you go there, you just gotta go in the haunted house. And, and from the very first time I heard about it, I did not want to go into it. But when you're eight years old, and you're there with your older brother and your cousin's there and, you know, you, you have to go in. You, there's just, there's no, you have to save face. There's just no option. So we're there, we're waiting in line at the haunted house, the infamous, you know, place. And I'm standing in line and, and I'm getting closer and the closer I got, the more I started to have these feelings of anxiety and the hair on the back of your neck, you know, starts to stand up and I, I started to feel like kind of queasy, like like maybe I was going to, you know. And and I actually started to feel like I was going to cry. But I couldn't. At eight, I'm a crier. So at eight years old, I, yeah, you can't do that. It's just, you know, you can't do that. You'd be made fun of forever. So we get in there. You finally get up to the door. And, and this is the moment. And I was like, wow, there's no turning back. I, I've got to do this. So you, I get in there and you're in this little vestibule. There's still a little bit of light, but then you pass through some curtains or whatever, and it is pitch black. There is no light whatsoever. Isn't that like the first mode of fear inducement? Just darkness? You're out of control now. You are now in the hands of the Six Flags haunted house. And so I'm there, and then the music... you know and like and then all of a sudden like like people just brush by you and 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 you're like whoa you know and and then ghouls you know pop out at you and then there's like you know other stuff that's like gross and gory and you know they do they did every manner of 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 horrifying thing in this haunted house and i remember i remember almost shutting down completely i felt like i was literally going to be petrified like But I kept moving. I just was like, maybe this will be over sometime. And I got it. And and another thing I remember is people laughing. And in my little eight-year-old mind of of completely horrified little boy, that made no sense whatsoever. Why are people laughing? This is like hell. And so I, I, I managed to make my way through it with all of this horror going on around me. And this was the most traumatic event of my life up until this point. And I saw in the distance, about this distance to that door, just like this, an outline of the door frame, a little bit of sunlight creeping in. And I thought, this is my chance to get out of here. And I didn't care. I just, I just flew. I just ran. I mean, I didn't care. I just blasted out of this place. 100 miles an hour. Knocked the door completely almost off its hinges. And then there's 25 yards and then there's the turnstile. This was a bad day already. And I got to the turnstile and I went. I was full bore and it stopped. And I kept going. And went. the pole stuck right in my stomach. Pinned me right in there. I can't breathe. I'm scared to death. I'm crying and <laughs> there's no hope for me anymore. And I'm stuck, and my aunts and my brother and my cousin are laughing at me. What a great day. They got me unstuck, and now it's a family story. Mom and Dad have heard it a million times. We've all it's I'm so glad I could provide that entertainment for everybody. Just a silly fun story. To make the simple point that fear is a powerful motivator, isn't it? And you behave in strange ways when there is fear present in your heart, in your life. We're in this series called uh, Now What or What's Next? What is it called? Now What? Yeah. (laughs) Now What? (laughs) What Next? Now What? You know, same thing. So we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus occurred uh, Easter Sunday and Ross talked about dealing with fears and que- questions and doubts And then our God's view of sin and us being restored in him and today I want to just continue on talking about what's next now what that jesus rose from the dead So he 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 uh, the resurrection happens in the economy of death and sin And what it means to be really alive and to be a real human is is totally overturned Everything's changed now that jesus rose from the dead Jesus died on a cross, and the people who were following him saw it happen. They watched it, and there were a lot of people who didn't believe him or follow him, saw it happen too. There he is. He's hanging right there. I saw him die. I saw him stick him with the spear. He came down. They put him in a tomb. He's dead. And then he comes to life, and people witnessed it. He shows up. He appears to them. And then some weeks later, he sets a meeting. He tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to meet you on the mountain. Come on out there. And so they spread the word. And I'm guessing that there were people who gathered on this mountain who had not yet seen Jesus. There were 500 people there. And we get so comfortable with the story. But Jesus physically shows up. When you read the book and you hear it all your life, Jesus died and he rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples and all that, it's like kind of becomes, yeah, okay, that's it. But can you put yourself there for a minute? You know, your friend told you, he's coming. He's going to show up. You're like, no way. I can't believe this. this is amazing. I've heard, but i really like to see him too. So you show up and everyone's standing around, milling around. And, and then over the crest of the hill, you hear a little rustling. People are starting, you know, you hear a hush. And here comes this guy. He's in white robes. He's brilliant with joy and power and peace. And you're like, I can't believe it. It's him. It's the teacher. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus. He's coming over here. my! Like, this is amazing. What's he going to say? Well, well, I can't wait to hear him teach again. This is going to be so great. I thought he was gone, but he's back. And there's excitement in there, and he's walking around, and he's 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 saying hello, and he's giving some hugs and slapping some five, and, you know, people are there, and it's, it's like, wow, it's electric, you know, and he walks by you, and he, he slaps you five, and he's like, hey, Aaron, hey, man, he keeps going, he's got a lot of people to greet, but it's not like a celebrity greeting, you know, hey, you know, it's like a brotherly thing. I know you, and I'm glad to see you again. It's, it's that. I'm just imagining it. This isn't in the text. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining myself there. And then you're wondering what he's going to say. Everybody's looking at each other with anticipation. I mean, we're just hanging. We'll be hanging on every word. And we know what happens because we've read it, and we call this Passage in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. What comes from his mouth at this gathering is the mission of his followers for forever. This is like his biggest command marching order. It is the Great Commission. So, pretty important. Let's read it. Matthew 18 or Matthew 28, 16-20. See, he gives them this profound, massive mission. And he sandwiches it with two statements, a promise, two promises. The the second is, I will be with you till the end of the world. The reason Jesus promises to be with us is because we have a mission. What do we need to be safe from or or have confidence in if we aren't doing something that may be a little risky or a little dangerous or requires a little something beyond ourselves like a battle. So often we try to keep ourselves safe by our own methods, and frankly, there is a lot of stuff in our world that would cause us to feel scared, unsafe, relationships that are unsafe, unsafe working environments unsafe world the news tells us constantly we're bombarded with images of how unsafe things are you know what could happen I mean we really I don't know how it is in other parts of the world but in America we pretty much have an acceptable obsession with safety safety safe passage homeland security social security the occupational safety and health administration we have whole branches of the government devoted to safety 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 seats, safety belts, safety seals, home security systems, security guards, food safety, tra- safety training, safety patrol. My daughter does that. Safe investments, travel safety, safe neighborhoods, safe relationships, safe environments. Back in the 80s, we even had the safety dance. You can dance if you want to. <laughs> OK, well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's everywhere, isn't it? And not, not that that stuff is bad. I mean, I'm glad we have safety belts in the car. That's a good thing. But we want to feel safe because we have so many fears. Fear is a reality for all of us. And we can pretend all we want to, but we really have deep-seated fear in our lives that we're constantly wrestling with. And the older we get, the more skilled we become at avoiding those fears the more elaborate uh, you know, methods that we take to avoid them and, and push them aside or even make making others believe that we don't actually have those fears. Do you know the most repeated commandment in the entire book is do not fear? It's, God says this to us over and over. Don't be afraid. Be not afraid. Have peace. I'm with you. Fear not, you know, it's there. The angels say it to, you know, people say it to each other. God says it to his followers all the time. God speaks to our fears because he knows us and he knows they're real and they're strong and they move us and motivate us. And they're so diverse. You know, we have phobic fears, all these different phobias. Uh, Arachnophobia, remember that movie back in the day, you know, fear of spiders, uh, you know, uh, gorophobia, fear of wide open spaces, placophobia. Anyone got that one? Fear of tombstones? And, uh, how about triskaidekaphobia? Anybody? Fear of the number 13? Yeah. So they could sound a little silly, right? Well, of course, unless you have one, then it's not silly at all. But we have other fears that are like a little more close to home, real stuff, right? Like fear of rejection, fear of failure. Anyone have that one? Don't raise your hand. I will. Yeah. I don't want to fear. Fear of getting, not getting approval. The brokenness of the world, our families, the way that we've experienced life brings about a lot of stuff like this. They're just deep-seated fear. We spend a lot of time getting security then, and dealing with these fears by any means possible, our own ways of dealing with it. We uh, try to control our lives, amassing wealth or influence or trying to control our destinies the best that we can by making sure everything's just right. Like, I always get a kick out of the fact that, like, uh, it's, it's a cool thing and everyone loves it, but it's like the weather channel and weather and stuff like that. It's like, you know, a hundred years ago, I mean, a tornado comes and is like run for the cellar. Now we know. It's like there's, they're spinning around up there, so you better get down because one comes down. So that's a cool thing, but it's like it's like we're always trying to control what we can't control. We want to dig deeper into science and all those things to know how we can control things. This is the way we operate, and then this is key. We begin to we begin to uh, replace a sense of security and safety from God's promise to be with us with a, a struggle to control our own destinies and our own little worlds. There's there's these two things going on. It's God's mission and His promise to be with us as we engage that and our own worlds and our own struggles to control what happens to us and around us. And we trade those things it's a counterfeit safety that we ignore. And the reality that we're ignoring is that Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority and he is with us to the very end of the age. So I want to explore this a little bit, okay? Back to the gathering on the mountain. This is what Jesus comes down in his first words. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And all means all, and that's all all means. I say it all the time because I think it's really important for us to remember when he makes an all statement, it's serious. All authority, there's nobody higher. There's nobody that has more power. There's no one who has control like he does. He makes the decisions. He knows what's going on. And before before we keep going, I want you to notice something really cool here about the writers the writers of the new testament the writers of the bible they were genius they were inspired by the spirit of god but they were men who are brilliant and matthew does such a cool thing here and he 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 shows the 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 faith of mary magdalene at the tomb and he says go and tell the disciples and then they bear a, a, a true witness and then he has this little section in here about the guards who are guarding the tomb And what happened is that they took a bribe from the Pharisees, the ruling authorities of the day, to spread a lie that the disciples came and stole Jesus' body in the night. So the guards chose to obey and submit to an authority that was not of God. It was a man-made authority. And when you take that authority and you obey it, you get in a mess with God. They started a lie. They are the ones who started a lie about the resurrection of the Son of God. This is big time. This is like a bad place to be. And I think Matthew does such a great job of showing us the difference between submitting to man's authority and submitting to Jesus' authority. See what happens when you fear the approval of others? Gosh, I wish I could stand up here and say, "Ah, I don't really care what other people think. But I don't care. You may be the kind of person who acts like you don't care what other people think. And there are those people. We all know them. Some of us are those people. But at the end of the day, it's still there. We still care. God's always dealing with me in this. This is like the number one thing in my life that I've dealt with since I started following Christ. Christ. And really before that, Proverbs 10, uh, Proverbs 25, Boop, Proverbs 29, 25. It's one of my life verses. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is kept safe. You fear man, it's just going to be a trap. You may feel secure, but in the end, you're really not. Men and women of faith, the people that we look at in in the world and in history, the martyrs of the faith, the early disciples, the Billy Grahams and whoever your heroes are, even, even the people, your mother and father or whoever they were, people of faith in your life, you look at them, they're the kind of people that had this sort of attitude. You see it in Psalm 56 too. I'm going to read this. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? What can mortal man do to me? There ain't nothing. There ain't nothing that can hurt me because I put my trust in him. So all day long, they twist my words. They plot to hurt me. They conspire. They lurk. They're trying to take my life. My enemies will turn back when I call for help. And by that, I will know that God is for me in God, whose word I praise in the Lord, whose word I praise in God. I trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? At the end of the day, what can man do to me? Being safe is not achieved through our human means. All human safety is eventually compromised. It's eventually incomplete. It falls short. We can't control a lot of life. And safety comes when we realize our purpose for our lives and we start to live it out. Okay? God so lest we think that you can sign on the dotted line and say, Okay, I'm I'm gonna follow Jesus and now all will be well and comfortable in my in my existence on earth. So lest we believe that God shows us throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, what it really looks like to follow him. And it's a little intense. But Jesus, and this is this is this promise, I'll be with you. He doesn't leave us to hang on our own and just says, "Okay, go ahead, go get it done. Good luck. He says, no, I'll be with you. And how is he with us? How is he with us? It's called the Holy Spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit. I just broke one of my own rules. We have an intimate relationship with God in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit. He dwells with us. He's moving around us. And it isn't like some kind of like obtuse force. He is a he. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a person. Just as we relate to the Father and to the Son, we relate to the Spirit of God. He's with us. Moving in us. And He's giving us, this is so awesome, He's giving us the same kind of power that He gave to His uh, disciples who first followed Him. The same Holy Spirit lives in you and me that lived in them. The same resurrection kind of life and power is available to you and me. So they stood up boldly and they shared the message of Christ's resurrection and His Lordship and His Kingdom because they believed that Jesus was with them they stood up against the powers of the day. Peter and John, Acts chapter 4, I'll read this in a minute. They get up, they heal this guy, okay? And the religious leaders of the day, and these were like the power guys, okay? They were like really miffed by this and jealous of the fact that they were getting so much time and and so much, you know, attention. So they brought him in and they said, "You cannot speak about this man Jesus anymore. You stop." And Peter and John, they're like, all right, guys, you just judge for yourselves. Is it better for us to obey God rather than man? And they're so frustrated with him. And I wonder how Peter and John felt at that time. Do you think maybe they felt a little unsure of what was going to happen? Maybe a little bit of fear there. It isn't like all of a sudden fear is totally gone and erased. They act in spite of it. They obey in spite of it. I'm getting ahead of myself. So keep moving on here. They obeyed God. They kept preaching and healing in Jesus name. In chapter five, the high priest, uh, he gets jealous again because they're healing people. So he throws the apostles in jail and now it says the apostles in, or the disciples. And so there could be a bunch of them in there. And, uh, And in the middle of the night, this is so cool, an angel comes and lets them out. This really happened, okay? This actually happened. An angel come in in the middle of the night and let them out of jail. So the next day, they're like, they ain't here, what happened? Well, guess where they are? They're hiding out at home, right? Because the angel saved them now. Okay, finally, we're delivered, we're safe. No, that's not what they did. They went went back to the temple. They start preaching and healing again. And so now, the high priest gang catches up with them and now they are like everybody's ramped way up. And they bring him in and they question them. And here's where we'll pick up the story in Acts 5:28. They say, "We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name," he said. "Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood." Peter and the other apostles replied, "We must obey God rather than men." The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. It's like they're saying, we saw it. What do you want us to do? whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. So not only are Peter and John, these guys there, you know, standing up for what they're saying, but they're also kind of slipping in the message too. They're like saying, hey, he's offering forgiveness to, to, and repentance to Israel, you guys. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Have you ever been so mad you wanted to kill somebody? I doubt you're as mad as these guys. They were the ones with the power. They knew what was going on with God and things of the, of, of the spiritual realm. And here are these punks, unschooled, unlearned men, fishermen coming in saying, no, you're wrong. So one wise Pharisee convinces the rest of them not to kill the disciples of Jesus. So verse 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, day after day in the temple courts, And from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They bring them in and they flog them. You know what that is? It's being whipped on the back. Again, we get so comfortable with this story, but can you imagine these guys? They're in this, wherever in this, you know, little room, you know, and there's these judges, these Pharisees, and they're going to have them flogged. They're gonna be whipped on the back. I've been pinged in the back with a wiffle ball before. It stings, but this is at a completely different level. So can you imagine the guys, their their arms are stretched out over a a block or or something, you know, and there's they're lined up, four or five of them, whatever, and they're there and they're like, This is this is gonna hurt. And they kind of look over at each other and you know. They're looking at each other and they're trying to encourage each other. He promised. He promised he's going to be with us. He promised. We're right. He rose from the dead. It's all right. And then they're flogged. So what do they do then when they leave? You know, Jesus, you totally didn't come through for us there. I mean, you let, got us out of jail with the angel, but now you let us get flogged? So they just go and they just sit in a room. No. That's not what they do. They leave the place rejoicing. Giving thanks to God that He would consider them worthy of suffering in the same manner that the Lord Jesus suffered. Wow. What is this message that they keep on preaching? Who is this man this Jesus, what in the world is going on? How what spirit moves in these people that they would so fearlessly persevere in sharing this message. They will not give up. These are believers who know all of the authority in heaven and on earth belongs to their king and lord. They are convinced that he has all the authority being safe is all about who you know and who is with you, isn't it? I mean, imagine you've you, you got to go save a hostage from a, like a teenage kidnapper who has a little six-shooter twenty two pistol. It's kind of a piddly little gun. It can kill you. But you're not too worried because you've got Iron Man. Okay, he's going with you, right? So you know, even if the kid shoots at you, Iron Man's going to be like force field or block it or just stand there and, you know, you're good to go because Iron Man is with you. Or you're wandering into the woods or you're, 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 you're dropped into the middle of a dense forest. You have no idea where you are in the world. Like you got blindfolded and drugged and now all of a sudden you appear in this dark, dense forest. I am so lost. I have nothing but the clothes on my back, but guess who's with you? Man versus wild, Bear Grills, British Special Forces. That guy can find his way out of anywhere. And he'll be like, well, here, just let's eat these grubs. We'll be fine. And you're like, okay, I'll be fine. Cause I got Bear Grills. Fill in the blanks. You're in an alley. You're getting mugged. Up drives a policeman. You're going to feel safe. Cause of who's with you. You're injured. You're in an accident. Who shows up? The ambulance guy, the paramedic. What does he do? He knows. He's got the knowledge. He's got the skill. He puts his hand on you, He's like, it's going to be all right. You're going to be fine. You feel safe because of who's with you. Do you, know, do you know God in this way? Do you know the Lord this way? Do you believe He's really with you? Doesn't it come down to that in so many simple things in our lives of just believing that God is with us? These believers who endure this suffering, and it's not just these first apostles and disciples. There's people through the centuries. There are people in the world today. I heard of an Iranian pastor. I was in, class, in a seminary class with a, a, a woman who uh, knows him, who knew him, and this guy would absolutely not give up sharing the gospel in Iran, which is primarily very anti-Jesus and violently so. Many people have been martyred in the Muslim world. It's happening today. We're so insulated and isolated from it. But what kind of belief do these people have that motivates them to do this? It's the belief that I will be with you. And I love this. Jesus is always so complete. He's so thorough. He doesn't miss a trick when he gives the great commission. He doesn't say, I will be with you till the end of your lives. He says, I will be with you to the very end of the age. This is a promise to all of us, to every person who believes in Jesus, whether you feel like a spiritual superstar or you feel like a kind of a low life not really worthy to get anything from God kind of person. It doesn't matter the promise is I will be with you. I will be with you to the end of the age. It's a promise for all of us for all time. And Jesus disciples were safe because they knew who was behind them and by whose authority they were speaking. Do we know the Lord in this way? Do you see Jesus as a Lord and a King who has a mission, who is fighting a battle and we are His hands and feet on this earth? Do you see Him that way? Or is He just like a nice, genteel, good man to give you good lessons and how to kind of get through life and be moral and those sorts of things? All authority for this mission And it's no less than worldwide in its scope. It's huge. And so sometimes you think, how can I even make a difference? How can I even engage this? First of all, I got all this fear stuff I got to deal with. Second of all, I'm just a little Aaron Zink lives in Westerville, Ohio, and you know I'm just me. And I go to a church, and it's good. But what can we do? Jesus is saying, I'll be with you. I'll be in you. Be faithful. Step out. I mean, we got this mission trip going to Nicaragua. Have you ever thought about doing something like that? And the mission is achieved through divine power. This is so, so critical for us to know and understand. The mission of God is achieved through divine power, not human means. Yeah, we got to be smart. We got to be creative. We've got to be culturally relevant, but at the end of the day, it's a spiritual act. This thing called the church is moved by the Spirit of God, not by humans. We respond, we partner with Him, and He uses us, but it's a spiritual thing. So I don't know about you, but that motivates me to get down my knees, confess my brokenness, and pray for God's mercy and His power to live out what He's called me to do. Just one last little story here. I uh, This goes all the way back to high school. I started following Jesus in 1988. And uh, this is my junior year. And so I'd been following him for about a year. And Mr. May... I've got to take a quick drink here. Mr. May, our, uh, our my high school English teacher, my junior year. A wonderful teacher. And... He, he was really into teaching. And this day, he wasn't there when the whole class got there. And we wonder, what's going on? We were studying American history and, and the literature of uh, early, American, early American literature. And he comes in and he's dressed up like a pilgrim. He's got the wide brim hat, the white collar, like a pilgrim pastor in black, the black uh, suit. And today, class... Mr. May will not be here. I am Jonathan Edwards, and I will be giving you a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he was good. He was doing an oral interpretation. And it's a real hellfire and brimstone message. I mean, you know, God's holding you over the fires of hell on a mere strand. You know, it's like turn or burn kind of stuff. And so he proceeds to deliver the entire sermon very convincingly. And I'm sitting there as a follower of Jesus thinking, what in the world are my friends thinking about this? And I start to feel God like just stirring in me like something's going on here. And I I don't know what's going to happen. So then he says, and now class, after he's finished, now... I would like to take any of your questions about my religion or this sermon. And so the class starts just picking it apart. Well, how can you say this? Or how can somebody who murdered someone, you know, go to heaven if they just ask for forgiveness on their deathbed? And he says, well, they can't go to heaven. God can't forgive you of your sins, you wicked people. And I mean, now... I'm starting to get this very strange feeling in my gut. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, I gotta say something here. This is just not right. This is wrong. It's just not true. And I'm, I'm 16 years old or whatever, you know, and I'm like, I'm going, he's, he's my teacher and he's the authority figure and uh, what do I do? And so I'm just like, ah, and he's going on and he's, he's just basically saying things that are completely wrong, heresy. And I'm like, I put my hand up and I said, hold on. I didn't even wait for him to call on me I was like overcome and I said wait a minute I was like what you're saying is wrong in the whole class you know everybody looks at me and I'm like going now I'm in it and so I started to get this feeling in my in my body it's like tingling it's like power mixed with embarrassment you know do you ever feel that it's like, I know what I'm doing is right, but I still don't want to do it. And I'm afraid, but I'm doing it anyway. And so I said, you can't say that. I was like, that's not true. I know it says, and, and, and thank you to Mark Van Dusen and Randy Anderson, who, who, who taught me to memorize Scripture when I first started following Jesus. And I had verses right there. You know that verse? He says, I'll bring all things to remembrance. I said, you can't say that. 1 John 1, 9 says, and I'm quoting scripture in my class, in front of all my classmates, if uh, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think I may have pointed like this a couple times too, because, because that was like my heritage. The preachers would point a lot. And, 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 you know, he's like literally flabbergasted. I mean, he doesn't even know what to say. And then I'm starting feeling like, Yeah. But then I'm like, I don't have any idea where to go from here at all. He's like, so he says, you insolent young man. Exact quote. How dare you question authority? And I just remember feeling like, I just questioned authority. Because it was God who told me to. My little, my little faith step. Step. Gosh, I didn't get flogged, but I did get a little bit of ridicule. It cost me something. You know, there were some people who probably wrote me off. But there were a lot of people who came to me after class and was like, Dude, I don't think we said dude as much back then. But if we if we did, it would have been like this. Dude, that was, that was amazing. How do you know that? and so i began to share with them about jesus i had opportunities then to tell people about my faith and i tell that story and i i think about it and i feel like god reminded me of that story for myself yeah maybe you get something out of it but it's just a reminder to me this is real this message is true and he has all authority and all power do i believe it this way I was afraid but I knew that I was right. So what are you afraid of? What what are you clinging to? What's gripping you? And I know with with this stuff with fears, they're just they're not far they're not far from the forefront of our minds. So probably whatever it is that you're thinking of right now that you're afraid of or Something that you're holding on to even. You know, you know you need to have a conversation with somebody but you're afraid of the outcome. You know you need to whatever. Give more money. You know you need to take a step out in faith with God. Whatever it is. You've got stuff that God's bringing back to your mind. Bring it to your mind right now. So what is that? Would you just close your eyes and just meditate on that for a second? And I'm not gonna like do an altar call or make you know, invite you to come forward or anything just afterwards for prayer if you want. No raising of hands or anything like that. But can you just meditate and just ask God right now? Just just pray, Jesus? Can you just just speak to that fear in my life? Speak to that thing that's keeping me back? It's keeping me from stepping out with you. Can you assure me, Jesus, that you're with me? Because I don't feel like it right now. What is it? Just ask him. Maybe you need to ask him to reveal to you what it is that you're afraid of. Because a lot of times we get so jumbled we don't even know we're we're traveling along in life so speedily that we don't even take time to evaluate what we're afraid of and i know we prayed it speak to me lord your wisdom your truth your comfort we need that right now god would you just bring it in this place cuz i know that in this very moment god you want to change us and we just humbly want to be willing And Lord, you just ask us to have a little bit of faith, just a a smidge. That's all we need, is to just take a little step towards you. I'm inviting you all, I'm inviting myself, just to take that step toward Jesus right now. We're going to sing this song, and I want to invite you to join as we sing it. And it says, I will exalt you. I will exalt you. I'll make you famous. I'll lift you up higher. I'll have no fear because I know you're with me. And I don't want to invite you to sing Sing from your heart. Stand with us and let's just respond to God with this song. And if you feel like you need to keep praying and you need to sit down and keep praying, you just sit down and keep praying. And after afterwards, if you want to come up here and, and pray, uh, we'll have some people up here with you. So go ahead, Kat. So I want to say thanks to the band for doing that song. I just asked them to do it this morning. They didn't even plan it. And um, I was praying about this message this morning and and I just was like, man, I want to sing that song this morning. So thank you for rolling with me, guys. I appreciate that. Um, and uh, I want to just encourage you to continue in that spirit this week. Mm-hmm. And And I want you to take a risk. Don't be afraid of sharing what God is putting on your heart and doing in your life with your... Your, your wife, your husband, your friend, your roommate. There's so many things that can stop us from just connecting with each other and, and fear uh, is just it's one of the big ones, if not the biggest. So take a risk, would you? Tell somebody what God's doing in your life and in your heart this week, in this area specifically. Maybe God's not really telling you anything that you're afraid of. Well, then I want to ask, I want to invite you to ask someone that you're close to, like, what do you think I'm afraid of? And most likely they'll, they'll know. So take that step this week. Know that he is with you. Know that he is with us. He's got a purpose and a plan for us. What an amazing calling we have. Don't you want more people to experience the kind of love and peace and joy and freedom that you have. So let's get desperate before Him and and uh, and and really seek to share that message with others. Glad you came this morning, and I really look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great Have a great week. See ya. Amen.